Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. The call to confession is from Proverbs 19, verse 27. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. This seems a little bit like stating the obvious, and it is. If you stop learning, you will start to forget. This proverb draws attention to a couple things. First, humans are not static creatures. We are either progressing or regressing. We are moving forward or we are moving backward. If we stop trying, we lose ground. If we stop working, we use up our capital. If we stop eating, we start to die. And if we stop breathing, we start to die very quickly. It is like we are all trying to climb an escalator that is going down. As long as we climb faster than the machine's downward velocity, we make progress. But if we stop or take a breather, we find ourselves having to make up ground. Learning is hard work because obtaining wisdom and knowledge are hard work. But life and blessing are to be found in instruction and in the words of knowledge. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Second, and a corollary to the first observation, is that we have a fallen nature. We are prone toward evil and ultimately death. Notice that the tendency is toward straying. The natural flow for us is ignorance and folly. This is why learning and wisdom require labor. And, it, and as Ecclesiastes has informed us, burdensome labor, difficult and evil labor. This is why it makes sense that the proverb states the obvious. Fools are idiots, and frequently they don't see what is right in front of their eyes. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So stating the obvious to your son is like what Paul says in Philippians 3. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but it is safe for you. It never hurts to bolster the truth, and it never pays to stop pursuing it. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. In other words, stop pursuing Jesus, and you will have stopped pursuing Jesus. This reminds us of our need to pray and confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins. Solomon is teaching that the sovereign God alone gives men the power to enjoy vanity. The first section had to do with appearances. We learned that outward blessing 
or adversity don't necessarily instruct us as to whether a man is in God's favor or not. God sees the hearts, and we must trust Him to judge. Today's text is the second portion of this argument, in which Solomon wrestles with defining men. And as we shall see, he pretty much gives up on it. His conclusion is this, verse 29. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So in our text, we'll be considering, how does he end up there? The major issue in Solomon's pursuit of knowledge here is that is man's fallen nature. We see this in verse 20. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Men are fearfully and wonderfully made. We were complicated enough in the garden before the fall, in our original state. The problem is that sin inevitably confuses matters further. This makes the task of judging men wisely analogous to catching a greased pig. Today we see Solomon and his interaction with this aspect of experience under the sun. The last thing we should consider before we start is that Solomon Solomon is not only informing us of the difficulties inherent in this pursuit, he's instructing us in the best way for us to proceed, or what the attitude or demeanor of wisdom should be in living among fallen men. Solomon starts with a ditch on either side of the road in our text, verses 16 and 17. Do not be overly righteous nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Wow. <laughs> he starts with a doozy, doesn't he? What can he possibly mean by don't be overly righteous or wise? Is that possible? A couple of thoughts here. One, God is perfectly righteous and wise, and so is Jesus. In fact, they are ultimately righteous and wise. So Solomon cannot be referring to true righteousness and wisdom. In fact, he is making a distinction between true righteousness and wisdom and false righteousness and wisdom here. If you are overly righteous, you are disobeying Solomon's wisdom given here. So what is he talking about? Solomon has just finished an argument about appearances, in which he concluded with an observation of injustice in the world. Verse 15. There's a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Thus, the wisdom here is a wisdom that can help you succeed in a fallen world where there is injustice. A, f a world full of both injustice and mirage. Appearances, the appearance of wisdom. This is, this is what he's talking about. Consider this, and, and this is something that you can see it in children. There's a mindset that desires to be simply wise and simply righteous. 
And we have a word for it. Let's call it goody two-shoes righteousness or wisdom. This righteousness and wisdom is bound up in pride and self-sufficiency. It is not merciful, and it does not display love. It's all about earning salvation, and it ends up spewing out death. This mindset accuses others, and it finds self-satisfaction in the belittling of others. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. It is small-minded, and it has devastating consequences. According to verse 16, you destroy yourself if you're overly wise or overly righteous. You destroy yourself by this behavior. In the schoolyard, the goody-two-shoes, the teacher's pet, and the tattletale are all targets for the other kids to pick on. Later on in life, it can have devastating effects on job retention, friendships, families, and even church communities. Nobody likes to have their nose rubbed in it. The schoolyard goody-two-shoes who never learns the lesson will become the grown-up legalist that strangles life out of their community. And this is precisely what we see in the New Testament with the Pharisees. But it is not true wisdom nor true righteousness, which is why Jesus commands that his followers' righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And all the while, the legalist is thumping his chest at his faithful keeping of the rules. And the reason that this is a real problem is because of the fallen nature of mankind. Because if we were living in a perfect world, everybody would be keeping the rules. And there would be no discernible difference between the legalist and everybody else. And if it was a perfect world, he wouldn't be a legalist anyway. Verse 17 is a little more straightforward. Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Here, like our proverb this morning, Solomon is stating the obvious. Don't be overly wicked or foolish. Why die young? But again, like the proverb this morning, it is helpful for us to hear the obvious now and then. In verse 18, we see the point. It is good that you grasp this, and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. The fear of God is the antidote. Fearing God will keep you from puffing up your pride and taking the path of over-righteousness or the path of over-wickedness. And the fruit or blessing of this all is strength. Verse 19, wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of a city. The clash between appearances and their intersection with wisdom is displayed clearly in the gospel account when the Pharisees accused John of having a demon because of his abstinence. And they accused Jesus of being a glutton and a wine-bibber because of his mercy and grace. Jesus' answer to this was, Wisdom is justified by her children. And what is the distinction between the Pharisees and Jesus and John? The outcome of John's and Jesus' ministry was the salvation of the world. 
But the outcome of the Pharisees' tyranny was the most heinous crime that humanity ever committed. However, Solomon tells us, wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. Today, Jesus reigns in heaven, and the Pharisees' reputation and movement is toast. Next, Solomon tells us why the legalist approach doesn't work. Verse 20. For there is not a just man on the earth, one who does good and does not sin. The reason the legalist approach won't work first is because every man alive sins. And this means that either the legalist is a hypocrite or he's bought his own lie. Either way, he's convinced himself that in his own mind he is not the problem. But according to the truth Solomon gives us here, everybody else knows that that is not the case. In Reformed theology, we call this doctrine the doctrine of total depravity. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way in question and answer 8. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? The answer is yes. We are so corrupt, we are totally unable to do any good, and we are inclined toward all evil. Yes. Unless we are born again. By the Spirit of God. And this teaching comes from Scripture. It comes from here in verse 20. There's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. It comes from Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Moreover, Paul confirms that all believers, Christians, the people, the saints, the holy ones, are born out of a fallen lifestyle in both Titus and in Colossians. Titus 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, giving in mal living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And in Colossians 3. Therefore put to death your main members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. The fact of our sinfulness... When we look at our lives with wisdom, and we look at our eyes in the fear of God, understanding His holiness, and His glory, and His righteousness, and we look at how dirty and wicked and evil we are, that fact, the fact of our sinfulness, and our need of His grace, should be the biggest reinforcement of our humility. And the motivation for us to exhibit grace and mercy to others. And this is exactly where Solomon takes us, back in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 21 and 22. Also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing others, or cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. In light of the fact that we are all fallen sinners, the problem for those who want to be goody-two-shoes or whistleblowers over other people's sins is a problem of perspective. 
But wisdom, according to Solomon, is that we move forward with grace and mercy like our God does, like Jesus does. The wise man knows and understands that people get all worked up and they spout off and they'll say things. The wise man knows that sin exists in this world and that sinners sin and that we're all sinners. But the wise man doesn't get all bent out of shape about it. He understands that God is sovereign. He, live, he learns how to live in the world, or under the sun, as Solomon would put it. And according to these verses, he learns to live in humility. Next, Solomon gives us proof in a riddle. He proves his point with an enigma. Verse 23. All this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. Here Solomon claims that he is trustworthy on this. He has proved all this by wisdom. And what, what has he proved? I think he's referring back to verses 19 to 22. Solomon has been wrestling with the nature of wisdom in a fallen world. Among a fallen humanity. So in verse 19, wisdom is stronger than ten rulers. In verse 20, wisdom knows that all men are sinners. Verse 21 and 22, wisdom is patient and forgiving. Because the wise man knows his own sinfulness. So Solomon has proved his teaching by wisdom. But then right away he jumps into a riddle. And he seems to be contra contradicting himself. In the second half of verse 23, he says, I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. And he continues in this vein in verse 24. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? So what's Solomon saying? He's saying, well, I proved this by wisdom, but then I said I'd be wise and I couldn't attain it. So is he wise or is he not? What's the answer? What, what's what he's saying, Solomon? The point here is that in a fallen world, where, e where men are sinners, even Solomon cannot attain wisdom in the sense of being able to explain and understand everything he sees in mankind. He can't attain that. He says, he says I'm going to learn this. And he says, I, I can't. What Solomon learned is true wisdom. And true wisdom is knowing your limits. True wisdom is knowing that you don't know, knowing that you cannot know. Truism is knowing that you cannot know, because true wisdom is only found in one place, the place that Solomon described in verse 18, that he who fears God will escape them all. He started with a ditch going two ways, too wise, too foolish, walk the tightrope. How do you get on the tightrope? Keep your focus on God. He who fears God will escape them all. If, if you want to seek, seek out and understand the world, try, go for it. It's good. It's good for you. It's exercise. But true wisdom is knowing that you must turn to God for understanding. Next, Solomon tells us his methodology and how he sought to prove all of this by wisdom. Verses, verse 25. 
I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. Solomon tried really hard to know. He sought out wisdom. He applied his heart to know wisdom and the reason of things. But he also spent some time on the dark side. He wanted to know the reason of everything. So he left no rock unturned. He even studied foolishness and the crazies. And then he gives us his observations. Starting with verse 26. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. There's a proverbial woman that Solomon may be speaking of here. And may be referring to here. That woman is the opposite of Lady Wisdom. She's the seductress known as Folly. About whom all these things are true. She is a woman whose heart is snares and nets. Her hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her. But the sinner shall be trapped by her. Folly is like that. And fools who get bound up in foolishness are, are trapped. And they suffer. And they perish. On the other hand, Solomon had plenty of personal experience with women. Actual women who took him down dark paths. His foreign wives turned him from following the Lord and the consequences were severe. 1 Kings 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you, and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days, for the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son, for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. 
Solomon sinned in this. And his sin was a snare. Sinners and fools are caught in this net. Hear the words of Solomon. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. And even Solomon, with all of his wisdom and glory and greatness, even Solomon was found to have a mortal flaw in this. Next, Solomon tells us his observation when it comes to people. Verses 27 to 28. Here's what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. This is about Solomon's inability to comprehend sinners. Solomon is unable to make heads or tails out of what men are doing or what women are doing. He can't understand men. And even worse, he can't, even under, he can't understand women. He tries and he works hard to discover what makes men and women tick. And the only thing that he finds is that he cannot find. Again, this takes us back to the fact that true wisdom is a recognition of limitation. A deep and well-seated knowledge that you need God in order to function in this world. Because without Him, you're lost at sea without a map or compass. You can do all the math in the world, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason. But in the end, all you come up with will be a big fat zero you cannot find. And this is Solomon's conclusion, verse 29. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. Notice, though, that Solomon lands on a note of faith. He knows and comprehends that God is sovereign. He made men upright. But we can't understand them. But what we can't understand about them is that we can't understand them. Nevertheless, God is good and wisdom is good. Chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like a wise man and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed. Remember that the whole point of this argument, the third argument in Ecclesiastes, is not to confound us and frustrate us, but to instruct us that a sovereign God can and does give wisdom to fallen men. And that wisdom makes his face shine. It changes us from sternness of face. That means that God gives us the ability to find joy in the vaporousness that is our human experience, the vaporousness of this life. We don't need to find all the answers. That's the point. God is sovereign, and He knows all the answers. We don't need to be able to explain sin in the world, nor in our own lives. In fact, sin is unexplainable. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. 
We don't need total comprehension of what we see. In the end, what we need is faith. What we need is wisdom, true wisdom. And that means what we need is God. Paul makes this explicitly clear in his hymn to God in Romans 11, 33-36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things. And this is where he lands, though. To whom be glory forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let us pray. in Jesus Christ. We can bang our heads against the wall and try to figure out what is going on around us for all eternity, but we'll not get anywhere unless we turn to God in faith. Solomon had revelation. He had the scriptures and the typology of the temple and the sacrifices to point him to the Messiah. But God has removed the barriers and the intermediaries for us. He comes to us directly in His Spirit and in His Word. With His Spirit, God freely gives us wisdom that we might live as we ought in this world. We shouldn't be Pharisees, and we shouldn't be fools. We are not goody-two-shoes, but we are God's grace and mercy to the world. We are salt and light dispensing the gospel. God has written the law in our hearts and given us a new covenant in which we may triumph over sin in the death of Jesus Christ. And every Lord's Day we celebrate that triumph and remember Jesus' victory in this covenant meal. This bread is the body of Jesus. God feeds us and gives us life, new life, in Jesus' death. This wine is Jesus' blood which was spilt for our sins and washes us clean, so that we may enter into the Holy of Holies each week in worship. Moreover, this blood is our drink, that we may be filled with Jesus' life, His wisdom, and His grace. This table is for all who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and His body of the Church. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.